Welcome to GodPod. This is a podcast from St. Paul's Theological Centre in London, based at Holy Trinity Brompton. Mike Lloyd and Jane Williams join me, Graham Tomlin, in talking about theology, life, God, and just about everything else. Well, hello, and welcome to GodPod 27. And uh, today we have a bit of a mixture of things. Um, many apologies to those of you who were listening out for God Pods over the summer. Um, I haven't done a lot of God Podding in the last few uh, last month or two, largely because we've been on holiday, and uh, <laughs> that's right, we need holidays too. But uh, today, um, what we're doing is, is two parts to today's God Pod. Um, first of all, Jane Williams. Good morning, Jane. Good morning, Graham. Nice to see you again here. Thank you. Um, uh, Mike's not here, which is, means that we, we can actually get some word in edgeways now today, can't we? Uh, but there won't be any jokes. No, it's no jokes, I'm afraid. We do rely on Mike for those. We're the serious ones, exactly, aren't we? Exactly, that's right. <laughs> uh, so no Mike today, um, but you do get the privilege of listening to him later on, because uh, what we've done is, um, uh, you might remember some God Pods ago, we had uh, Amy or Ewing with us, and um, we had a, a bit of a very interesting discussion about um, the issue of um, memory and the soul and... Uh, uh, will we have memories in heaven and all that kind of thing? And um, so uh, we're going to uh, put that discussion as part of today's God Pod. That'll be a little bit later on. But first of all, uh, Mike, Jane and I are going to be um, talking a little bit about what we did on our summer holidays, hmm. um, which is not not as boring as it sounds, hopefully. Um, although we did have some nice summer holidays, didn't we, Jane? Very nice. Where did, where did the Williams family go this year? We went to Cornwall, where we go whenever we possibly can. And I'm proud to say that I swam in the sea every day of the fortnight we were there, whatever the weather. Was it freezing? Yep. <laughs> Don't I look <laughs> well only, on it? Only the British could do that. <laughs> only the Welsh could do that, probably. <laughs> That's right, yeah, well, well, we were in Rome, actually. Rome and, Italy, and um, the Abruzzo coast in Italy, which is a lot warmer, I can say. A lot say. warmer. And did you swim? Uh, I did, actually, yeah. Good. Yeah, I swam every day. But it wasn't quite such a testimony, <laughs> yeah. um, whatever it was. So yeah, that, that was. But anyway, that's our, our, our holidays. But the main thing um, uh, we thought it would be good to talk about today is some of the things we read on holidays, and um, some of the books that we that passed our uh, um, our attention. So um, Jane, what, what, what did you what did you read on your holidays this year? Well, of course, I started with the last Harry Potter book, which came out okay. at the beginning of the school summer holidays. Yeah, um, and. It's a large book, so it took a fair amount of reading. And then, of course, when when I'd read it, I had to go back and reread bits of the other books to sort of check. Had you read all. the other books beforehand? Oh yes, of course. Have you read them all now? I have every single one. Every single one. Some of them really? several times because um, there is a connecting story, as you know. Yeah, of course, that's right. You have to go back and remember the details. Yeah. I have to say, I found it a deeply satisfying book. I the thought, last one. Yeah. Did I you thought, think it's the best of them all? Um. Tricky. I'm not sure, actually, okay. but I thought it uh, it really did bring the story satisfactorily to a, right. a conclusion, yeah. which I better not reveal over exactly. well, in I case there are people. Well, I better not, because if we do, we'd be in trouble with <laughs> yeah. people who haven't read it yet. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, what were your um, reflections on it? I mean, reading it as a as a Christian and a theologian and all of that. I mean, well, one of the things that I found intriguing about the whole... Um, all, all of the books it is there. There are some wonderful images in the book that I think um, require us really to think about 
truth and falsity about how people become who they are about destiny about mm. good and evil um there's a wonderful um remark in one of the earlier books where harry is afraid that um that maybe he will be forced to be like his great enemy mm. voldemort maybe mm. he's naturally like him and um the great headmaster says to him but actually your choices are what shape you yeah. not your not right. how you're born but what you not do your with your destiny what, as it were yes yeah um, which, fate. yes which i think is a is a very important yeah. thing to say especially to mm. youngsters growing up that you can actually choose not everything but you can definitely mm. choose a direction for your life yeah um and of course there's been a lot of writing in in christian press about the fact that um that 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 harry's mother's being prepared to die for her son is what mm. protects mm. harry sure. and that becomes a big issue in this final volume yeah yeah. And um and obviously as a Christian one can't help hearing that as saying something fundamental about yeah. about the way in which we relate to each other that Harry has to choose to be weak. Yep. In order to beat mm. the huge strength mm. of of the evil that he's pitted against. Yeah. Um Yeah, that that point about um destiny and identity is a very interesting one, isn't it? Because mm. I think there there is in our culture quite a strong strand that says that you know we have to sort of discover ourselves you know we have to kind of somehow discover who we really are mm. and um there's this sort of i think there's this this like myth that, that if you can sort of peel away all the the different roles that we play and the different you know the jobs we have and the mm. um the images we project to, to other people there is some inner core to, to, yes. to, to who i am which yeah. is somehow you know there from the beginning to the end and so on and that life is basically about discovering who i am and then mm. you know being me and um and it does assume that there is this sort of irreducible core to to, to who i am my own sort of individual identity and so on and i can see some of some of where that's coming from but i think that the danger of it is that it does it, it minimizes this this is exact point that you know we are hugely shaped by the choices we mm. we make and um i remember reading someone who once so, you know, what if you peel away all the layers of the roles you play in, mm. in life and you find that at the end of the day you're an onion? Yes. <laughs> in other words, There's there is no yes. irreducible core to yeah. who you are, which is which you're not in some way, you don't have a, you don't have a say in, in that. Yes. Uh, because actually it is the choices we make. It is the, um, the path we choose to take through life that does shape who we are. Mm. And uh, yes, of course, there are things that shape us before we're born, the families that we're born into, the communities, yeah. the societies and so on. Um, but it's not as if that's some that we have, if we are somehow fated, you know, to to fulfil some exactly. We're beforehand. not trapped. I yeah, think that's right. Exactly. There is genuine freedom and choice uh, um, within those restrictions. Yeah. yeah, which is actually quite a freedom, especially when you related to the Harry Potter point yeah. about you know well you know gosh, am, I, am I just fated to be um, a bad person or, yes. or make these these choices? It, it it can be a way of almost absolving ourselves from responsibility yeah. by saying, well, I'm just the way I am. Um, well, you can't always say that. No, I mean, in, in the Harry Potter um, corpus, there's this prophecy made about a boy who will um, have to face Voldemort. And and it's a very interesting dynamic that, that Harry um, initially feels that, he, that, therefore, he has no choice. The prophecy is about him. Mm, mm. Um, and actually, it transpires that, that it was Voldemort's choice of Harry um, right. To be the the fulfilment of the prophecy yeah, that, sure. that yeah. then gave Harry that role, but but that yeah. he does have a, sure. the ability to shape it. No, yeah. I, I find them really interesting and 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 
inspiring books, actually, and I would recommend them. They're very good, yeah. So is all your family reading Harry Potter as well? Your kids well, as, as well? Um, both the children did. I have never been able to persuade my husband to read them. He, <laughs> he started the first one, and they're just not his kind of thing, really. Yeah, sure. Yeah. I don't think he has religious objections hmm. to them, but he just yeah. doesn't like them very much. Have you read them? I've read some of them. Yeah, I've read. Um, I read two, two or three of the early ones, but I haven't. I haven't read the last one. Actually, I, I heard. I, um, I understood you'd read it. I, I was thinking about it yesterday, but I thought trying to read the whole thing and overnight would not be very easy. So, um, so yeah, that's right. But I did read a, 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 an article in the paper some while ago saying how, how deeply Christian they felt the whole story of Harry it's Potter was. It is interesting. And uh, then there were some other letters in the same newspaper saying that they thought it was slightly overblown and a bit bit too exaggerated. But but um, this article was very much trying to claim that you know there's a, there's a very strong Christian strand of teaching. Um, Which I don't think, I mean, I don't think they are at all consciously Christian. Hmm. Um, but I, I, I think it just shows uh, the way in which actually the Christian understanding of how power works hmm. Has does filter into yep. people's imagination. I mean, can you understand those Christians who say, you know, because it's about witchcraft and because it's about that sort of thing, then Christians really ought not to read Harry Potter? Uh, I I understand that. I I, I think it's a shame, personally. Mm. I, I mean, I grew up on Narnia stories and and the worst witch stories and all kinds of stories about mm. about magic. Um, even Enid Blyton had. Magic yeah. in her stories, uh, and never assumed that magic was real. Mm. Uh, I, I think mm. it's a shame if we have to so censor people's imaginations um, and assume that they yeah. can't tell the difference between reality and fantasy. Yeah, and it, it is a genre of writing, isn't it? And it, it depends what you do with it. Um, it seems that you, know, you, you could have, say, the Philip Pullman novels, which in some ways are in the same sort of genre. They, mm. are, they are writing about forces beyond the, the, the material and, and the natural but have a very different message, it seems to me, and, and quite a profoundly anti-Christian message, which I think Philip Pullman himself would would, would say, yeah. which is very different, I think, from Harry Potter. Just the fact that they use the same genre, actually you can end up with very different conclusions Indeed. from them, from and them I, I think. And I find it quite interesting that I don't think any of the final resolutions of any of the books are dependent on magic. The resolutions yeah. come through the characters sure, yeah. and the interaction of the characters. That's right. So, But yeah. if you haven't been reading Harry Potter, what have you been reading, Graham? Well, what have I been reading over the summer? Um, well, I read quite a lot over the summer, actually. I, I, I took a whole pile of books away with me, too. As one does. Yeah. Italian holiday. <laughs> and, um, uh, well, actually, I worked through them quite quickly. I read, I, read some, um, I read some early church stuff from Gregory. You're going to make Nissa. me feel bad about this. <laughs> and I read various other bits and bits. I must admit, I got to the, I got to the point on our Italian holiday where, where uh, I'd read everything that I had that I'd brought with me, and I was just like, what on earth do I read? I ended up reading Maeve Binchy, which I'd never read before. I read a Maeve Binchy novel, I about that. So, um, anyway, I'm not going to talk about that. <laughs> but what, I, what, actually, what I did read, I, I read, uh, actually, I got round to reading Richard Dawkins this summer, and uh, I read The God Delusion, and uh, read around various other books connected to it, and mm. some of the reviews, and so on, which was a very interesting experience, actually, reading that. Well, yes. I mean, I think it, it's important to have read it because oh. it, so many people mm. are discussing it, and it does seem to have filtered down into people's consciousness. Oh, hugely people. so. Yeah. So yes. you know, you go to, go to it's, it's, I, one of the things we did in Rome was to go into the Colosseum, and I was reflecting in the Colosseum on how um, you know the gladiators were there. You know, they, 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 mm. some of the early Christians were um, sort of 
died in the, in that place. And uh, I often feel now going into Waterstones and books and bookshops like that a bit like going to the Colosseum because you're faced by all these books of yeah. you know completely anti-Christian, anti-religious yeah. polemic. But um, but I thought Dawkins was 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 very interesting. And I think it's a super, it's a brilliantly written book. I really do think it's a brilliantly written book. I think in terms of its rhetoric, its style, its mm. persuasiveness on the surface, I think it's 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 it is brilliant, and I can quite see why people get to the end and think, well, fine, you know, he's made out of That's pretty that. good case. Yes, yeah. um, but that, in a way, I think, is the slight irony of it, because although it's a book that tries to, uh, you know, lays great store by logic and rationality and argumentation and evidence and and all of that, and it's claiming that that all points towards atheism. Um, actually, I think that the strong part of the book is not actually the argument. It's actually the it is the rhetoric. It's the style, and uh, it almost bludgeons you into submission by mm. the utter confidence of his argument by this very winsome and very um, easy style of writing. Uh, and it's only when you actually stop and step back for a moment and think about the arguments that you actually think, "Hang on, this doesn't quite work mm. as an argument." Um, actually, what's what convinces you is the style, not the argument. And um, so it's, it's, it's very interesting to read. I mean, I, I, I quite enjoyed reading it in some ways, mm. um, uh, just sort of analysing it in terms of that distinction, I think, between sort of content and, and style. Um, I suppose I thought it, at the end of the day that what came to me was it was an image of, to be like someone, someone who's very convinced of the value of sight, um, you know, that seeing things, the visual is really, really important and is you know, really you know, passionate about that and wants to say, oh, isn't it great to be a, we can see this wonderful world and we can sort of, uh, you know, grasp its colours and its variety and, and, and you know, who loves the, 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 um, um, the, the ability to see. Mm. Uh, and it's a bit like that person coming across someone who, who uh, starts talking about smell and the first person maybe doesn't have a sense of smell and says, well, I can't understand what on earth you're talking about. Mm. You know, I can't see this thing you're talking about called an aroma or a smell. I can't make any sense of it at all. You know, where's the evidence for it? You know, I can't see it. It just doesn't fit into my view of the world. And and, and it seems to me it was a bit like that as a book. It's, it's you know, he, he is using, and you know, obviously he has great confidence in the scientific method to analyze reality, to explain the world as it is. Um, uh, and cannot make any sense of people who come and talking about uh, another dimension, uh, which is the dimension of, of God. And the tools he is using aren't capable of grasping mm. um, the, the reality of, uh, of God. A bit like, you know, you can never smell something by using your eyes. But it's more than just incomprehension, isn't it? There, there seems to be a, a real level of anger. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not just that he doesn't understand why people believe. Yeah, he, sure. he just actively doesn't think they should, yeah. does he? And I think that's related to his point about, you know, the the, the damage that he thinks religion yeah. does to people. And, and that's the other part of the argument. I think one part of the argument is essentially that science gives us a perfectly adequate description of reality and therefore why and, we don't and need And does God. no damage whatsoever. That's right, do, yes. That's and an then question. corollary, he paints this rather wonderful picture of atheists as beautiful, peace-loving people who pick flowers and... <laughs> And um, if we put the world into their hands, everything would be nice and calm. And he has this amazing ability to completely gloss over the, you know, the, what has been done in the name of actually in the name of atheism. And he, mm. I think he, you know, he can't avoid that. Or with, even in the name of science. Or in the name of science, exactly. Over the last hundred hundred years yeah. or so, um, and he just seems to have a sort of blind spot for that. 
um, for that altogether. Um, it's like the early days of the feminist movement when, when we were able to persuade ourselves that women are just naturally nicer and more trustworthy yeah. than men. And, and, yeah. and unfortunately, as we grew up, we realised that wasn't necessarily the case, that if, if you let women run the world, it wouldn't necessarily sure. be different. Be and I better. think yeah. the, the problem is human beings, isn't it? Whether yeah. male, female, yeah, believing no, or non-believing. No, I think that's right. Yes, exactly. Yes, and I think he, I mean, it, it, it intrigues me that he can't, you know, I mean, he goes into the whole thing about evidence for God and he just basically says, well, there is no evidence mm. for it. And yet it seems to me that, you know, Christian theology has always said that God is, in a sense, beyond, in one sense, beyond this world. He's not part of this world, therefore not discoverable within it by the normal um, senses of sight and taste and and, uh, and everything else and, and smell and everything that we have so therefore the scientific method can't always can't grasp god it can mm. never find god in that way um but having said that i mean i think there there, there is a, a point at which there are places where and particularly in, in the realm of of miracles of of um uh, religious experience where in a sense god's trace can be can be sort of touched and, and mm. felt. And so therefore, it seems to me there's always going to be this element of that the, the, the scientific method cannot ever find God, but it will sometimes detect traces of him. Mm. Um, and I, I find his argument on religious experience quite interesting because he, he, he comes up with all kinds of examples of of religious well, experiences which have seemed to be religious, which actually have turned out to be nothing of the kind. And of course you're going to find that from time to time. But you have to argue a quite a long way, given the the wealth of evidence for religious, you know, for experience, which is of a, a, a dimension beyond the physical, um, and stories of miracles. Obviously, a lot of which are bogus, but there are still good grounds for, for you know for saying that something is going on here to, to to make you feel that it's exactly what you'd expect if we're talking about a God who is both beyond this world, mm. but who interacts with it. We are going to find things that we can't always explain. Even science and Dawkins can't explain. Uh, I think that has to be the, the case. Um, but ultimately, the scientific method can't grasp God. Um, and I, th I think it, it's very easy to dismiss 2,000 years of Christian academic mm. and philosophical work as well I think because people don't yeah. know about it mm. really anymore but that that Christians have always put together rational mm. um, mean, yeah. rational sure. reasons for believing in God which will not prove the existence yeah, of God exactly but yeah. will show that it's not inconsistent yeah. with with being a sensible human being to that's right in and, God. and he misses that point because he goes through some of the traditional arguments for the existence of God yeah. and and in one sense what the book does really well I think is to is to puncture some of the arguments that just don't work yeah. for existence for, for the existence of God. But it seems to me that you take sort of Aquinas' five classic proofs of the existence of God. They're not what he thinks they are. They're not no. trying to prove the existence of God. They're saying if you happen to believe, this is this shows that it's actually entirely rational to mm. believe. It makes sense within the terms of of Christian faith. And so I think what he can't quite grasp, I think, is that, you know, the tools by which we perceive God are not actually microscopes and test tubes and the, and the, the, mm. the scientific method but it is it, it's faith it's faith and love i mean augustine's great theme that you know in order to know god we have to love him mm. and the only way we can come to know to, to love god is by seeing his gracious faith in, in jesus christ and um once we see god in christ we we actually begin to find our hearts wanting to love him and that's when we begin to realize he's really there and um 
And that although there there has to be an intellect an intellectual and rational dimension to it, there also has to be a way of living. Yeah. Um, yeah. Christianity is not a set of propositions. Yeah, it's that's a, right. And it's only when it's you start to, with Jesus. When you yeah. start to trust God and live that yeah. way, that's when you begin to discover that God is, is real. And if you don't do that, you'll never discover that God is real, mm. however much you try and mm. analyze analyze the whole thing. But obviously I think he I mean I think it's a point that all of us Christians need to take on board that God would be much more easy to believe in if Christians we're better people. Yeah, yep. fair enough. Yeah, um, exactly. That's right. Yes, and I think you know, there's a there's a there's a real challenge in there as well. And I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think the, the the other interesting point on it was his his analysis of love, because um, there's a whole section where he he writes about you know where does love come from, in particular self sacrificial love, mm. and uh, I think he kind of ends up arguing that it's a it's a slightly sort of accidental byproduct of our desire to survive and i think it's a very interesting point because you almost kind of have to decide is love you know mm. is is human love that the ability to give ourselves for someone else is that actually an accidental byproduct of evolution which really shouldn't have been there mm. which is i think basically dawkins's position on it or is it actually the absolute central thing to what human life is about mm. And that is a fundamental question. And I think that's one of the really big differences between Dawkins' view of the world and Christian view of the yeah. world. And as a Christian view of the world, we want to say, no, love is not just an accidental byproduct. It's what we're here for. We are here to learn to love one another and to love God. And, and so we do that by being in touch with, with the God who is love. Mm. Love is absolutely central to the human experience of, of, of everything. Whereas Dawkins, I think, is wanting to say, well, love is just a... It's just something that just happened to kind of, you know, it's like a mutation, which shouldn't really be here according to the proper laws of, of biology. Um, so, you know, I think that's just, just, just a mm. basic choice you've got to make. You know, do you go with Dawkins and say, well, love is pretty tangential. It's, just, it's marginal to human life. Or is it absolutely essential? Which is and what Christian faith uniquely says. And what most people seem to feel. I mean, most people, if you ask them what they want most out of life, yeah, would say love wouldn't they yeah that's right yeah we desperately need to be loved and yeah. to learn how, how to love yeah. and, and if you take that out of human experience and you make it marginal then you've really lost something central to what it is to be human but it sounds as though you're suggesting that we should read the book and actually think through the issues raised for ourselves oh, and yeah. perhaps read it alongside alistair mcgrath's interaction with it yeah alistair's alistair mcgrath has written quite a useful quite a small um book in reply um which is uh, a good thing to read yeah i think i think it's a good thing to read uh, along with other books as well um there have been sort of quite good reviews that have been written uh, again not all by christians many atheist reviews have been written of it which are quite critical of the lack of serious argumentation mm. uh in um in the book i, I was reading a, a review in the um uh, the New York Review recently by again an atheist uh, scientist who was very critical of of the book and its its use of anecdote in mm. in place of argument and its um, sort of sweeping generalizations its lack of taking lack of seriousness in in actually trying to deal with theology in, in any way so but I, so, but I think my message to those reading it is to don't be fooled by the the, the confidence mm. the rhetoric on the surface. Think hard about the arguments underneath and, mm. and, and whether they work. Um, good. Well, Jane, it's very good to um, talk about our, our summer reading. Nice um, to be back. Yes. Exactly. Uh, we'll have a. So, for the second part of today's God Pod, we will um, uh, be. We'll jo join in with a little discussion that uh, Mike and I had with Amy or Ewing a little while ago. This is a question that came in from uh, David, David Baxter. 
who uh, says keep up the great god podding and <laughs> that's what we're doing and that's fine and he also asks can he have a biscuit and i'm afraid we can do many things david we cannot yeah. um sort of beam biscuits down through onto your ipod i'm so, afraid i take the biscuit <laughs> that's right, yeah. he's got rather fine biscuits today they're sort of gingery ones aren't they i think they're uh, those fairly traded ginger yeah that's right fairly traded i'm glad to hear well obviously <laughs> that's quite right yeah so sorry about the biscuit david but um, very good question which is um, which is this if we have a soul and our brain is separate do we have a memory after we die um, and uh, he goes on uh, to say that um, know, would we recognize each other um, in an afterlife if we didn't have a memory and in particular he says that you know, people can suffer brain trauma and lose their memory they can forget their spouse their friends even their children uh, if this brain trauma can cause memory loss, then it is, is memory only in the brain? Does the Bible mention remembering stuff about your life after you die? And uh, so that, that's the, the whole area of, of the question. Um, mm. So, yeah. I'm just going to start Mike. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it's... I said something controversial coming on here. <laughs> oh, well, I won't disappoint. <laughs> but let me just build up to my controversial okay, point. Right. Um, it does seem to me that we must have memories afterwards mm. um, because otherwise it's not us if, you know, we are yeah. to some degree the, the sum total of the things that have happened to us the decisions that we made the choices that we made the, the, the things that we've done the things that have been done to us uh, and if if you don't have that then you don't have the same person mm. um, and it seems to me that scripture suggests that you know mm. that, uh, in the story of Dives, Dives and Lazarus Lazarus yeah, remembers exactly. what's happened to him uh, in, in his the rich family. man is reminded by Abraham that's yes. right isn't it about oh. Lazarus and the different oh. members of his family etc so, yeah, so he remembers, certain, remembers yeah. the, 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 his time um, is it also true that uh, that is the memory is kind of in the brain and that's why um, when you get brain loss you can have memory loss probably is yes that's why we need to be resurrected as physical beings as not less than physical beings uh, rather than um, have disembodied existence and I think the problem with the question is, is, is the word soul and the problem behind that word is um, that Christians have often taught something that's actually much more like Greek philosophy mm. and Plato's philosophy in particular than the Bible um, I don't think we have souls. I think that's the controversial bit you were looking Ooh, for. There we go. I don't think we have souls. Uh, I think um, that... In a Greek sense, but obviously you think yes. we have mind and emotion, which when the Bible uses the word soul, I think is... is yeah, because what is... I mean, certainly even Watchman Nee, I think, who talks about the body, soul, spirit thing, yeah. interprets the soul idea as your mind and emotions, I think. Well, Jesus talks about, you know... Sorry. <laughs> you don't want to lose, you want to gain the whole world, but lose, lose your, soul. your soul. So what, what yeah. does he mean by that? Don't well, you think? I think he means the, the deepest part of me. Yeah. The soul the is a way of talking about it. Yeah. My, my deepest, me at my different, deepest levels. So you do believe we have that. So it isn't, oh, it, yes. you're, you're, you're but it's taking not, issue with a, with a definition, I'm a platonic taking, definition. I'm taking issue with the distinction between yeah. soul and body, the separate 
separateness, the possible separation of the yeah. body and soul. Uh, when when Mary, today is the Feast of the Visitation, uh, when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth and says mm. the Magnificat, my soul doth magnify the Lord in the old version, uh, she says, my soul doth magnify the Lord. But that doesn't mean that her larynx isn't involved in mm. that process. Mm. Uh, it's not something distinct from the body. It means my, me in my deepest places I am rejoicing. Uh, in, mm. in God and um, usually you can translate um, the word soul with the word life for instance <laughs> but how would you then understand um, the idea of paradise because obviously biblically um, the final resurrection happens and in heaven we are physical beings so there's uh, a yes. sense in, in which you know, our bodies are resurrected, but we have resurrection bodies that there's a making new. But isn't there also a sense of today you will be with me in paradise, but your body isn't there, is it? Ah, uh, well, that's the that's the question. <laughs> or do you believe I, I mean, in just, soul just sleep? become even more controversial. I suppose <laughs> I don't think we go to heaven when we die either. Um, I think <laughs> there's a sort of sleep and then the resurrection. Well, there, there, there are two strands of biblical teaching, aren't there? Yeah, uh, and, yeah. One is that the resurrection is future. Yes. Um, uh, and the other is that, that you, go you go immediately into, into the present, into no presence time. of God. Yeah. Now there are, and then there are two ways of uh, yeah. harmonizing those two strands of biblical teaching. One is to say there's a temporary period where we're separate from our bodies and live in a spiritual existence uh, in, paradise, in, in, her- in heaven yeah. or, or paradise or whatever. Yeah. And then we get given a body. We're waiting for our for our bodies. So we kind of go up and then we come down again yeah. <laughs> um, to the new restored creation. Um, and that's the view Tom Wright takes. Um, so yeah. it's, you know vaguely kosher um, <laughs> so on the other hand <laughs> the view I take is, is, is the other one which is that to, to say what happens between then and now uh, or now and then mm. is a meaningless question it, yeah. it, because what, when you die you leave the space time continuum yeah. and, and what is future from our those who are sort of left behind this point time, of view, yeah. it, it is future um, becomes immediately present and so you immediately enter into that which is for those who are left behind a future thing which they await um, so that it's not uh, yeah. it's meaningless to say what happens I think Don Carson him. writes really well on this by the way in The Gagging of God have you read that no, he's got a cha- whole chapter on this so if anyone is out there thinking what <laughs> go and buy it is that the line <laughs> he, he takes he deals with he I can't remember what is line he, right he takes he but um, actually, to be honest I honestly can't remember yeah. but he sets out the different perspectives options. really mm. well yeah. Because it is um, important to say, isn't it, for because for, obviously it's a question for people who've lost very yes. close family or, or friends. You know, there's an obvious question. You know, where are they now? And and, yeah. and I think somehow the, the answer that well they're asleep is a slightly unsatisfactory one, really, mm. um, because of texts like Jesus is one to the to the the, um, the the thief on the cross. You know, today you will be with me in, in paradise. And it's important, I think, to be able to say that you know that those yeah. who have gone before us, those who've died. You know, are in the presence oh, with of the Lord. Christ. Yeah. They are with Absolutely. the Lord. They're in Absolutely. a good, good place. That's, I will come and take common. you to be with me where I am, exactly. John 14. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's not uh, that's the final destination. The final destination is still the renewed heaven and earth and, and all of that. Well, that, yeah, that's that, or they might be the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. That happens and, and, immediately. But that, the fact that they are in the immediate presence of God, if they are people who've but I think uh, accepted on God, is, is common to all the different positions, isn't it? Back onto the question, I think we're really agreed that one would recognize others mm. in heaven that because we will be ourselves or the new creation yeah. we yeah <laughs> in the new creation whatever you want to call it mm. but there there will be relationship one with another 
as well as with the lawn, there's a funny noise sounding. <laughs> Maybe it's about noise. to happen. I, I, I think, I think <laughs> Nicky Gamble's seeing the dentist or something. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Um, I just one other thing about memory. I think it's... Um, and there's a passage in, in Augustine's Confessions where he, he writes a, a whole chapter about memory, and it's an interesting chapter Does about he? memory. Gosh, I must read that. In his he, Confessions. Yeah, the Confessions of St. Augustine. And, um, and uh, the, 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 the main focus of it, I think, is that... Um, that in uh, that we have a, almost a kind of corporate memory as as human beings, which actually stretches beyond our own individual memories back to, if you like, memory of of our connection with God before the fall. Um, that you know we all have somewhere deep within us a, a kind of instinct mm. that once things were different, yes. once we connected with God, once we had this. This this wonderful Pascal writes about that as yeah, well. He does, exactly, he? that's right. Yeah, yeah I mean, he, he gets it from Augustine. Yeah, right. of course. But it's this this sense that you know yeah. that's why we're all so restless. That's why mm. we're also you know we, we don't know quite what we're looking for, but we know there's something out there that that we that we long for, and, and therefore memory is something much bigger than just our own individual memories mm. of what happened since the day we were born. We have a kind something of corporate memory as, yeah. as human beings of. Of, of our rootedness in God. Um, and that, I think, is also a hint, you know, if Augustine's right on that, and I think it does kind of key in with our experience of life, that therefore our memory is something that goes both before our our birth, but also after our our death as well. It's something that's a, that's a lot bigger than just confined to our own individual memories. As, as mm-hmm. And I think it's important to say that, because, you know, if we simply have our current memories when mm-hmm. we're remade, um, that's going to be quite painful because mm. a lot of those memories are very painful. Mm. That there will be, along with a healing of us mm. physically, mm. Uh, there will also be a healing of us emotionally, right. spiritually, morally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm. and, and, and emotionally. And that there is a kind of healing of the memories. Oh. It doesn't take away that memory, but it oh. diffuses it just mm. as the scars of Jesus mm. uh, are still there, but they're healed and they're glorified. Mm. Uh, it, it doesn't take them away. It doesn't mean these things didn't happen. It doesn't mean that we don't remember the things that happened, but that yeah. that memory is put into mm. a context that is so glorious that, that they're diffused yeah. of any opportunity yeah. to and warp that, or distort us. That sort of touches on the, the next question here, which is talking about, um, you know, someone who's not a Christian that you love not being in, heaven mm-hmm. and the reality of that that separation mm-hmm. of if someone you love is in hell can you really be happy in heaven um which i think is a is a great and mm-hmm. very difficult question mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. clearly the answer is that we will be happy when we're mm-hmm. with the lord mm-hmm. and healed and whole mm-hmm. that that doesn't necessarily mean sure. everyone we have loved on earth will be mm-hmm. there with us does it but it's back to your point a bit again about justice in mm, a way like I th- think th- so, it's yeah. trusting that God will do what is right and what is just and that we will be happy with that because yeah. because it is, is, is the right thing whatever that right thing is and we can't predict what, it, what that's going to be and, and, and um, you know tell God what, what to do in that um, but our focus it seems to be within um, the new creation within heaven paradise whatever we, we call it is actually not going to be on our memories of the past yes, we won't be I always thinking right. oh, I wish I did that differently and oh, that was a bit of a shame <laughs> you know, that, that, that went wrong it'll actually be upon upon God it'll, that's mm. where our focus will be and our, our memories won't be things that will cloud that they won't be something that we will kind of have endless regrets I mean it's back to your point about the sort of healing of those memories but um, that's where our focus will be yeah. it's like you know our, our, you know our, our, those who are in the presence of Christ now are they conscious of what's going on here on earth well 
They probably are, but they're probably not that interested in it <laughs> um, because their focus is somewhere else. They might be praying for us. Oh, my That's goodness. Right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a whole other topic, which we'll, we'll look at. <laughs> I'm just, uh, the, well, we know that the Lord Jesus is praying for us. We can't be certain about that. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Um, it is interesting that the, the, the thing, uh, the question goes on to say, it, the last bit of it is, who are you without your physical self? And I think we want to say either not, not very much at all, or at least nothing like what we are meant to be and will be finally when we're remade. And yeah, God has made us as physical beings and he's not going to backtrack beings. on that. Yes. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, right. thank you, Amy, so much for well, being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. It's really been enjoyed great it. fun. And uh, thank you, Mike, as well. It's not been such a pleasure having me. <laughs> well, <laughs> no, all right. No, I, I get the picture. It goes without That's okay. saying. It goes without saying, Mike. Thank yes, you for, I noticed thank it pouring the coffee does. as well. That's another, <laughs> another secret job Very that Mike important. does in the, in the background is to pour the coffee just quietly while we're just chattering away here. Um, so, uh, thank you for listening, and uh, we will. Um, Hope to hope who's to have next? you listening again. Do we know again? who's on next? Uh, or do no, we not announce next, that? Actually. I don't know okay. who's on next, but um, somebody interesting will be on next. Yes. Right? Just be us. Wait with bated breath. <laughs> somebody interesting or just us. <laughs> That's right, exactly. That was GodPod, a podcast from the St. Paul's Theological Centre. If you want to send us a question, just email it to godpod at htb.org.uk. We can't promise to answer all the questions you send in, but we'll certainly try. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye.